Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. Uh, And we are here to talk about opening weekend of college baseball, which, of course, uh, wrapped up uh, yesterday uh, on on Monday. With the the President's Day weekend, a lot of teams took an extra day uh, to to play a their, their, their week finish out their weekends I should say so we uh we're coming to you a little bit later as a result of that and travel schedules uh typically we would do this this wrap-up podcast on Monday here we are on Tuesday however uh and there was a lot of action around the country a lot of a lot of fun results several upsets we're going to get into all of that here on the podcast today from Long Beach State to Bryant to Liberty uh, the State Farm College Baseball Showdown in Arlington, and uh, Joe's uh, uh, Joe will have some stuff from uh, from that unnamed Florida tournament uh, at South Florida. So we've got got a lot to touch on here, uh, Joe, and we, we've got a new top twenty-five as well. But you know, really, I'm just glad that that we were able to get the games back. Just having something, uh, you know, having any games. Uh, to, to talk about is a great thing. And then having so many good games happen over opening weekend was uh, what was, it, it's fantastic to see. Yeah, it was good to be back to something resembling a, a bit of a normal season. You know, you and I were both back out on the road. That was, that was new. I mean, I, I guess I, obviously the postseason we were in Omaha and, and I went to super regional and a conference tournament and all that jazz, but even that felt like a little, a little bit different. So this, this was kind of a nice return to something that felt a little bit normal. And I think there was going into the weekend, uh, worry is not quite the right word, but there was just, there was a thought that, you know, there, there just might not be that much this weekend. I mean, it, we might have some things here and there, but you know, there was a very real possibility that yeah, Mississippi state handles its business and, and Vanderbilt turns out to be the superior team in, in, in Nashville. And, you know, the tournaments are kind of, you know, um, you know, hit and miss. And, and we come out of the weekend just kind of with, you know, happy to have the games back, but not really exhilarated by that much of it, but it turned out to be very different. I mean, we got a lot of really interesting results and we've got to obviously got a lot to chew on here. So it was nice to have the games back. It was also nice that we were very quickly reminded about just how, how much craziness can happen over the course of, of one weekend. Cause it, it really was one of those kind of keep your head on a swivel types of weekends in terms of the result and enough happened that it, you know, it, because we ranked them, obviously we were very, uh, very aware of this happening, but it was, it really was a weekend where it, it, it took me a while, for example, on Sunday to realize that Liberty had won that series against Florida, just because there was a lot of focus on other things going on. And that because of what happened with Long Beach state and, and that, that marquee series in Nashville, it, it flew under the radar a little bit, but, um, so anytime that is kind of like a lower level result, you know, that you had a pretty packed weekend. Yeah, it was. Uh, it wound up being being very eventful. One thing that didn't happen this year that had happened the two previous years is that the number one team in the country had a winning weekend. Uh, so that was that was new and, and different uh, after after the last two years. Um, you know, we we don't have a new number one team coming out of out of opening weekend. I guess I should say is uh, it, it is is what what is different because in twenty twenty, of course. Um, you know, Vanderbilt went and, uh, you know, wasn't, you know, had, had a rough weekend at, uh, at the MLB four tournament. 
Uh, and then last year coming out of opening weekend, Ole Miss rose to number one uh, after their showing at uh, the, the State Farm showdown there in Arlington. So th- this year, Texas took care of business against Rice. Uh, that was where I spent my opening day. And I you know, came away, first of all, I should say, not impressed with Rice. Uh, like I, that, that is something that, that has to be acknowledged following that, that Texas sweep and it was it not being close at all at any point in, in the weekend, uh, you know, Rice is, Rice is definitely not the best opponent Texas is going to face this season, but Texas did everything you would want a team that is the superior team clearly to do. And I, I came away just impressed with the way that they played and in every facet of the game, they played really clean all weekend long. Uh, they, they ran out a bunch of pitchers they, they got the bats out. Like it was, it was just a good weekend for the Longhorns. I don't know that we learned much. Uh, like I said, rice, uh, rice was not the stiffest competition, but uh, I, I thought the, the Longhorns taking care of business there on opening weekend and on opening day when, when I saw them was uh, it was what you would want to see if you came into the year, you know, expecting big things from the horns. Yeah. I, that was a series. I just quickly on that. I, that was a series I kind of expected from afar, obviously to, to drop in on at some point during the weekend. And it just became very clear, very quickly that I did not need to spend time checking in on, on that series. Um, Rice's, a lot, obviously, a lot, it goes without saying we knew this going in. We did, you know, this is not new information, but they are a long way from where they were. And I think maybe even longer than we had anticipated. Cause it's not just that they aren't as talented as they used to be. All that is obviously very clearly true. It's also that they are really, um, you know, it's changing coaching staff and, and a coaching staff that's doing things in a very different way. So I think there's just going to be a, a little bit of a long tail on the transition period there. Yeah, I, I think that um, it, expecting anything from the Owls this year, like they're going to have to play. Not only are they going to have to play better, like in a performance kind of sense, um, you know, like they, they just have to play better, but they're going to have to play cleaner. Like to me, that was the thing that, that stood out the most about, about Rice was the number of unforced errors they were making. And Texas punished them for it, and that's again, that's what you want a team like that to do. But uh, from a from a Rice standpoint, just cleaning up a lot of different things is uh, is is going to be important to to getting uh, to a point where where the wins start to come. All right, so enough about Rice and and Texas. Texas remains number one. Uh, we'll we'll see more from the Horns down the line, uh, but a good a very good start to uh to the campaign uh for for the number one team in the country joe let's get to uh i guess the number two team in the preseason top 25 and that was vanderbilt they were taking on oklahoma state this weekend and uh you know that that was in nashville it's the return series return leg of of uh you know, they, they played in Stillwater a year ago. Vanderbilt won that. Uh, and Vanderbilt got off to a, a good start this weekend as well. They won on opening day. And uh, the, the way that they pitched was very uh, impressive. They, they rolled out you know, three guys, and all three of them did what you would expect them to, to do. And Chris McElvain and Patrick Riley and Thomas Schultz, and they really held down 
the, the Cowboys offense on Friday night. But from there, Oklahoma State was able to come back, win the next two games of the series, win, uh, win, the, uh, win the series on Sunday uh, in, uh, in a tight game that Vanderbilt tied late. Uh, it was, I guess it was in the eighth inning. They, they pulled even with the Cowboys. But Oklahoma State undeterred comes back, uh, scores a couple runs in the ninth inning, and then held Vanderbilt off in the bottom half. Uh, to win the series. To me, that was as impressive as anything that they were able to, uh, you know, fight off Vanderbilt's rally late in that game in, uh, in the rubber match on the road. Yeah. Same. I was, I I caught the last few innings of that, that game after I'd gotten back to the hotel at the end of of my games. And there was a feeling of eventuality once Vanderbilt got back in that one and tied it that, okay, you know, heck of a heck of a job by Oklahoma State here, but it, it felt like the inevitable result of the team split the first two games. The third game is down to the wire, and the home team, and in this case, it you know, a very talented home team, and, and Vanderbilt ends up pulling it out because that's just the way these series often go, right? So to to kind of flip that script and have it be a different result is is really impressive for Oklahoma State. And the other thing I would say about this is that one of the more impressive things that stands out to me about Oklahoma state winning the series is the way they were able to fight to do so, because it's not like everything went right for them this weekend. Right. I mean, they, they hit less than 220 as a team on the weekend, you know, Jake Thompson and Griffin Dorshing. Great. Everyone else kind of struggled. Um, they used a lot of different bodies offensively pitching wise. They lost the Justin Campbell start. Um, and Victor Medeiros and Bryce Osmond were oh, oh, just okay. You know, um, some good things, some bad things. Um, you know, even Trevor Martin at the back of the bullpen, like he closed things out, but it, you know, wasn't the cleanest outings for him. And so it's not as if this team just went in and redlined and played at the top of absolute top of their potential and won a series at Vanderbilt. Like it wasn't necessarily pretty. And this team managed to win two of three at Vanderbilt. And so I think it suggests that this being their starting point means that the ceiling is, is, is much, much greater. And obviously that's reflected in, in where we have them ranked at this point. I think what I took away from this is that both of these teams have incredible upsides, like Omaha plus upsides, I would say probably. Uh, And, you know, we knew that about Vanderbilt to begin with. Um, We were a little more skeptical about that ability from Oklahoma state, but I I think to your point about, yeah, I mean, there's, there's clear room for growth for Oklahoma state, despite the fact that they just won a series in Nashville. Um, they did enough offensively, uh, at at times they were a little overwhelmed by Vanderbilt pitching. I felt like they struck out an awful lot on Friday night, um, you know, missed on some opportunities with runners at scoring position that really could have changed that game. And, you know, some of their, their younger hitters, you know, they're going to grow into, into the season, um, Justin Campbell can be a really good Friday night starter. There's no reason why, why he couldn't be going down the line. Um, you know, I expect he'll improve from opening day and I expect the whole, the whole rotation can, can find, you know, steps to, to take forward. Uh, and, and then on the Vanderbilt side, like, yes, you lost the series um, and that's never a good thing at home, but you know, I, I think there were plenty of positives to take away uh, Vanderbilt is still clearly trying to figure out how best to piece together its pitching staff. 
And so I think they learned a lot from this weekend. I don't know what they're going to look like next weekend in, in terms of a rotation. Uh, they tried a piggyback system kind of this weekend a little bit, and maybe they'll keep going with that. Maybe they liked what they saw from Patrick Riley and, you know, you move him into the rotation proper or change up how the piggyback with McIlvain is situated. You know, there, there are a number of things that they can do from there. Um, and to, to tweak some things on the mound. But I, I, I think that overall they have to be happy with the options that they have there. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we saw enough this weekend to, to be pretty impressed by what, what Vanderbilt has to run out there. And they have a few weeks to figure it out. Now, this was the biggest part of Vanderbilt's non-conference schedule. Um, you know, there, we, there are three weeks before SEC play starts. They still, they can still work through some things uh, in the next few weeks, and I expect that they'll do so. Uh, but so I, I come away from this weekend not too terribly worried about Vanderbilt. Uh, mostly just impressed with the with what Oklahoma State showed. Yeah, same here. I mean, this we talked about this in the preview episode that this really was a largely a no no lose situation for either of these teams like it's just going to be a quality series the losses are not no matter who took the losses or how many of them there were it really wasn't going to hurt anything from a resume standpoint you were going to learn a lot about your team and so i think i'm I'm with you i don't have any real specific worries about vanderbilt and in fact you know come out with some real positives like you mentioned i look at offensively too where you they got good weekends from some of the rank and file players in the lineup so you know, it wasn't the best weekend for Bradfield or Keegan or Carter Young or even Parker Nolan, a guy who a lot of people are pointing to, myself included, as a a breakout player. But you did get really good weekends from Javi Vaz and Spencer Jones and Jack Bolger, guys like that, that are, again, more, you know, rank and file players that you thought, you know, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to get here, but those are the types of guys that if they have, if they take steps forward, can really take this lineup from being, dangerous but maybe a little inconsistent to being a really really good lineup um and so I, I you know that's a positive there as well because again we talked about some of the inconsistency that oklahoma state had on the mound throughout the weekend but those are really talented pitchers they have real velocity and real stuff and um th- they were able to have success against that pitching staff i think is a feather in their cap because it's not like they were any any slouches there so you know maybe it was a little bit of an uneven weekend from Vanderbilt from that standpoint, but the the guys who were leading the way, I think speaks highly of what this lineup could do as a whole, if they kind of all get going at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, like people are talking about Noland as a breakout and, you know, there's reason to believe that, that he can do that. But if Spencer Jones winds up being the breakout player, like that's, that's really significant as well. And, you know, when it would not come as a surprise to see uh, Jones or Balger be the ones to, to take a step forward and, um, you know, really take over in the the middle of that order with with Dominic Keegan. So I, you know, there are a lot of lot lot of positives for Vanderbilt. Uh, clearly, some things to work on. None of that is a surprise, really. Uh, but a, a very entertaining series in Nashville uh, at, at the at the very least this weekend. And uh, you know, we'll see where both of these teams now now go from here. And and if we uh, if we see them again uh, facing off against each other at some point in the NCAA tournament. All right, Joe, we're going to uh, get to one of the loudest results of the weekend. That was Long Beach State uh, going into Starkville and winning a series against the reigning national champs. Uh, We'll get to that and more here in a second. But first, check this out. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Joe, maybe the loudest result of the weekend was Long Beach State going to Starkville, winning a series. Uh, They beat Landon Sims on opening day in a great 3-0 pitcher's duel between Sims and Luis Ramirez. They came back the next day and absolutely took it to Mississippi State. They, They won by 10 runs there on Saturday to clinch the series. And then the Mississippi State offense woke up on Sunday and they they came back and, uh, you know, took game three. But for Long Beach State, a team that we were excited about coming into the year, but still a little questioning. Uh, this was a team that you know, wasn't really allowed to play non-conference games last year because of the, you know, the way that the school set the schedule up. Uh, so we, we just hadn't seen them play against this kind of team since 2020 when Long Beach State beat Mississippi State uh, at Blair Diamond or at Blair Field. Uh, but but still, to to go out on opening weekend, an emotional opening weekend for Mississippi State, unveiling the championship banner on Friday, uh, going out and beating the best pitcher in college baseball in Landon Sims and and all the rest of it. That was that was a sensational weekend for the dirtbags. Yeah. And impressive that they were able to do it in a couple of different ways. It wasn't like long beach found a formula and they're able to execute that formula. And if they get off that formula, they can't pull it off. I mean, this team that to your, to your point, won a pitcher's duel on Friday and then came back and just bludgeoned the Mississippi state pitching staff the second day of the weekend. Um, to, to win in a couple of different ways. And I think that's kind of what changed it for me. You know, after the Friday win, I, I don't want to say I was dismissing Long Beach State. That's not not accurate at all. But I was just kind of like, okay, well, we knew Luis Ramirez was pretty good. And they obviously had Devereaux Harrison at his full strength. And, you know, he didn't throw, ended up throwing much in that game. But you just kind of knew like, okay, that's, that is a formula they could use here. And to see them win three to nothing, it was like, okay, that, that felt very... Um, that, that felt like something that could naturally happen. But then to come out the next day and just 
put it on them. And I was, I listened to most of this game in in a, a long drive I was making down in Florida and, um, just kind of like found myself at various points being in awe of the way they were really just kind of able to keep pouring it on because it also wasn't just one big inning. I mean, they, they were really just um, relentless offensively in that game. So I think that really does show you this is a, a multifaceted team that can win series like this. And it's also not going to be the type of team that just has, has one way to beat you. And, and sometimes, um, you know, especially with the big West, which stereotypically, and maybe some of it's not fair, but stereotypically sometimes will only have the one way to beat you that this team is not that. And so uh, I came away just, just really, really impressed. And, you know, equally similar to Oklahoma State and Vanderbilt, not overly worried about Mississippi State. I think sometimes those emotional weekends can sometimes cut both ways. And I think this is probably more just a case of a, a team getting beat by a team that was just a little bit better over the weekend. But sometimes those those types of weekends that are emotional and have a lot going on, sometimes they can also serve to be a little bit distracting or a little bit emotionally draining um, as much as they can be emotionally uplifting. So, you know, who knows if some of that came into, into play, but to see them bounce back on Sunday and emphatically win the final game of that series, I think was, was a positive for them, obviously, but also just from the, you know, uh, confidence building standpoint and, and moving in the right direction. I think that was, that was huge. So um, the first, first couple of days though, just really couldn't have been more impressed with what Long Beach state did. I think it was really important for Mississippi state offensively to come back on Sunday, not, not just to win the game, but they scored 12 runs. They got a route of their own off. Uh, you know, that, that seemed significant. They had scored three runs on the weekend to that point And, you know, had collected something like four hits. It, it just, it wasn't going great for him. Uh, and, and so like that, that was a bigger deal to me than, you know, if they had won that, that final game, three to nothing that would have been really good as well but to see the offense click into form on Sunday was significant now they have to build off of that uh, because this is an offense that has a lot of new pieces in it and you know they're they're going to have to figure out how to win games now without Tanner Allen and and Rowdy Jordan and and some of the other guys that, that were there for the national championship but especially Jordan and Allen. Um, Allen was the SEC player of the year, and th- those guys were really kind of the engine of, of that thing a year ago, and you got to find new players to step up. And so to, to see the response on Sunday, I thought was important. Um, but I, I, the way Long Beach State pitched early in that series was really impressive. Um, Luis Ramirez is coming off of a nice summer on the Cape, uh, and he went out there and he threw an awful lot of strikes and was really controlling the zone on Friday night. And um, Mississippi State just didn't have, you know, they, they made a ton of weak contact against him. They were, there were a lot of ground balls. Uh, it, it just wasn't, wasn't going the way that you would, you would have expected it for the Bulldogs hitters. Um and then the the relievers that came in behind him, Fields and Harrison, like those are those are Long Beach State's like two top relievers. And I was a little surprised um, that they stacked them that way, I guess. But you know, going all out, winning that game on Friday was really important at the time. And then you know, you saw them continue to pitch really well on Sunday. Um, Jack Noble was was great in a long relief effort. That's a guy that. 
was in the rotation a year ago when they had four game weekends and, you know, we'll see whether he can stay in relief or whether they, you know, have to move him into the rotation or onto Tuesdays or something later in the season. But if he is able to, uh, you know, be that kind of lawn relief guy, uh, that's a, that's a great luxury for Long Beach state to have. Uh, there, there are a lot of guys on that staff that can really pitch, um, even Marcus Johnson, who started on Sunday and um, got knocked out early, he's still got stuff, uh, and he'll pitch better games than than he did uh, there in Starkville. So I, I, I think that the depth of Long Beach State's pitching was certainly on display. The offense was a, a nice surprise in in some respects. Eddie Saldivar as a freshman going out and getting three hits against Landon Sims in his college debut was really impressive. Um, you know, Jonathan Lawn had a, had a big weekend for, for the dirt bags. And I, if they're, if that offense is, is going to come to play like that all season long, this is the, this is the only like pitching staff like this, that they're going to face all season long. Uh, the kinds of power arms that Long Beach state saw this weekend, I guess maybe when they go to Oregon state, they'll see something similar, but even Oregon state doesn't have as much power as Mississippi state can throw out there. Oregon state's pitching staff is built to beat you in a slightly different way. Uh, so I, I just thought what Long Beach state did this weekend in terms of handling the mid nineties stuff that they saw consistently from the Bulldogs, uh, that, that was one of the things that really stood out to me. Yeah, it, it bodes well for their ability to to play deep into the postseason if you start to look ahead to that kind of thing, because the, the time they definitely will come into contact with that is, is at some point in the postseason if they're going to make a push for Omaha. The, the other thing I would on the mound on, on the other side, too, is speaking of luxuries, you know, if Landon Sims pitching as well as he did, it really goes to show that if he's able to continue to be something like that. Uh, what a luxury it will be for Mississippi State on the front end, because otherwise, you know, we talked about it in the, the offseason, but it is a pitching staff that is doing a lot of rebuilding otherwise. And I think there were some good things. Cade Smith pitched well, for example, uh, in his start. But, there, you know, in that Saturday game, it was a lot of cycling through arms, trying to figure out the right combinations. And sometimes things just snowball on you and a team's just swinging it well and that happens. But but it also does go to show that you know, having someone like Elaine and Sims on Friday that you have some certainty and it's just, uh, it is a real luxury to have because you're starting from the standpoint of like, okay, we've got one day figured out. Now we just kind of have to be retool these other couple of, a couple of days. And that just makes life so much easier. 13 strikeouts and seven innings, five hits. One of them was a home run. That was, that was the run that he gave up. No walks perhaps most significantly, and also that he got through seven innings and I think it was like 85 pitches um, to have that kind of efficiency coming out of the, out of the gate on opening weekend is, uh, is really impressive. And I mean, I, I said plenty of times this off season that I wasn't worried about Sims as a Friday starter, that I was sure that he could handle it. Uh, even that was better on opening day than, than what I would have expected. But yeah, I mean, to, to your point, they're going to have to, they're going to have to figure some things out behind him. Uh, they've got options. They'll just have to have to work through it. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll see what, what Mississippi state lands on in terms of a, uh, you know, much like Vanderbilt, uh, they've got they've got some time here before SEC play starts, and I'm sure they'll take advantage of it as they they try and uh, shape their pitching staff. Already, um, let's 
stick in the SEC for another upset. This one Joe teased coming into the weekend as a possibility. Uh, we talked about it uh, on the preview podcast on Thursday that Liberty was going to be something that, that Florida was going to have to watch out for, that, that this was a team that that had upset potential. And what do you know? The Flames went out and they did it. Uh, this was Florida winning on Friday night behind a good start from Hunter Barco. And then Liberty coming out and taking the next two games of the series, both of them close games, uh, but both of them ultimately Liberty wins and they come out of it with what for my money was the best series win of the Scott Jackson era at Liberty, which now is something like five years old. Uh, He's won an awful lot with the flames. They went to a regional final last year, but I don't, I don't think there's another series win on the books in, in his time that, that is as big or as good as, as what they did this weekend. No, it would be hard to top that. You know, I, I, I you're probably right about that because it, it would just be hard to top top what this is. I mean, it's it's a it's a road win over a top ten SEC team, just on its face. It's um, it's also the type of of win that catches people. I mean, this is this is the type of thing they can tout in uh, to really get big picture with it. They can they can tout in recruiting and and things like that. This catches you know anybody who's considering Liberty saw this happen over the weekend and it, it, you know, maybe changes things for them. So like, yeah, it can't be understated how big a series win that this, this could be in, in the big picture there. So, uh, but in the, in just the, the micro, I mean, it's, it's a resume builder for a team that um, you just never know. Like, obviously we know how talented Liberty is. We clearly know that now if we didn't already, but you just never know in a conference like theirs, what you're going to get to be able to build from an at-large resume. And so having something like this on the resume first weekend of the season gives you some level of certainty that, okay, if we, if we just take care of business in our conference and they, they don't even have to go 19 and two or, you know, whatever many games they're playing this year in the A sun, it's a little different schedule, but they don't have to dominate in the same way they did last year to even really get to that point. Uh, this is going to age like a fine wine in terms of a series wins. So that's really, um, really huge for them. And and so, um, yeah, to get it, to get it first weekend is, is big. And it's it, kind of a, um, they played a series of bullpen games, really. I mean, coming into the weekend, if you'd have told me they win the series, I would, the, the formula I might've given you is, you know, Trey Gibson pitches, um, really well, really well in his start and they get that win. And then they kind of win maybe some, an ugly game to win the, the second game. And that's really not how it had played out. You know, Florida got to Trey Gibson and, um, it really ended up being the Liberty bullpen that that came through there. So a lot of a lot of zeros late in games for Liberty um, to give their offense time to work because it's not as if the offense also blitzed Florida pitching. I mean, it was it was kind of a workmanlike performance for Liberty. They just won a couple of close games, and in some ways, that is is more impressive to be able to win like that than it is the alternatives there because these were these were wins they had to kind of gut out and piece together um, to, to to capture them. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with uh, with that. That you know, it's not it was not the formula I would have expected, uh, but it's it's an impressive weekend to be able to go and win two two run games in Gainesville, um, and you know the the way that that bullpen pitched is impressive. This was Liberty's like 
biggest shot to make a statement this year because they are playing 38 Sun games now. They don't, they just don't have as many non-conference opportunities. Uh, they have a series against Campbell uh, in, in a month, basically. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, you're talking about, you know, their midweek ACC games that they play annually and, and that helps from an RPI standpoint. It can put, you know, road wins on your, your resume or home wins. They have a couple of them at home. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 it says a lot more to go out and, and beat a team like that, like Florida in, uh, in a weekend rather than just accumulating a bunch of midweek wins uh, against ACC teams. So cannot overstate the importance of this. Um, I don't know that Liberty can get its RPI into a hosting kind of range, but this is something that would enable, like they needed something like this to be able to do it. So the long reaching impacts of this are significant for Liberty on the flip side, Joe, I don't know. I just don't know what to make of Florida coming out of this weekend. Barco pitched well, they won on Friday, um, but add Florida, I guess, to the teams that are, in the SEC that are still trying to figure out the rest of their pitching staff behind their ace. Um, it's not like Florida pitched poorly on the weekend. Uh, and in fact, maybe the bigger questions are about what they're going to do offensively. Uh, I, I just think that Florida has a lot of younger players overall, and they have a lot of, I knew there were going to be growing pains. Uh, I wrote multiple times that there were going to be growing pains for Florida this season. I guess this is those and they have to, the the Gators just have to find a way to move forward from it, both on the mound and in the lineup. Yeah. I, you know, I'd compare it a little bit to, you know, we just got done talking about Mississippi state and what a luxury it is to have Lane and Sims as they figure out some things on the mound. Otherwise it's a little bit similar with Florida with Barco the difference, I think, being that with Mississippi State, you're talking about guys, they're shuffling guys like Kate Smith and Casey Hunt and, you know, Tuller and, you know, Preston Johnson, guys who have been in the program and who've pitched big innings. And it's just a matter of, okay, are they ready for a little bit more of a role this year? Things like that. Florida's working a little more with some uncertainty on the mound. It's freshmen, it's guys who really haven't been in big spots. Um, so I think there is a little bit of variability on what they can expect from from that standpoint on the mound um so they they do they are similar the two teams are similar and they do have a friday guy who you kind of expect to at a bare minimum keep them in every friday game and and actually more than that to win the most every friday game that they are in um i think there's just a lot more uh a little more downside potential with florida than there is mississippi state there might be some more upside potential given the talent of some of those younger pitchers um but there definitely is a little variability there you know offensively i I don't know. I, you know, I don't really know exactly what to make. So so that quickly they hit 186 on the weekend, just 18 hits. Um, Nine of those did go for extra bases. So they have that going for them, but you know, to, to get held to that level by Liberty's pitching staff uh, is, I mean, that's something you gotta, you gotta correct. For sure. And, you know, especially given again, not to just harangue on the same thing, but it's not as if Trey Gibson went out there and threw a no hitter, you know, and like, okay, that skews the stats. Like, they faced a lot of different Liberty pitchers and struggled against most all of them. And uniquely um, Florida really ran the same nine guys out there. 
Like, I mean, Macassetti served one game, the BT reappel did not. And that was the difference. Um, otherwise, it was the same lineup. And so clearly, I think they know who they want their nine guys to be. And it's just a matter of getting them there. And there were some brights. Sterling Thompson had a nice weekend. That's a guy who they're looking for to, to be a, like a super duper star in their lineup. And okay, you like the BT reappel had a, you know, had a home run and, and did some nice things. But, you know, there were just a lot of guys who were really fighting it this weekend. And so, well, you know, we'll see on that. But you're, I think you're right. I, I here, we, here we go making more sweeping conclusions after one weekend of play. But um, I think you, you have to look at it as like maybe not a concern, but something where it's like this, this was not a matter of it's harder to explain away this weekend of struggling against the Liberty pitching staff. Not that Liberty's not talented. I don't want to take anything away from them, but I think you do have to come out of this thinking that that is really something they're going to have to get cleaned up moving forward. I don't think that you're going to have many weekends where Kendrick Callilau goes hitless and Chris Armstrong and Chud Fabian both only tally one hit. Those are three of your veterans. Those are probably the three most veteran players in the lineup. BT Riopelle is also an older player as well, but this is his first season at Florida after transferring from Coastal. Um, you know, Judd Fabian, Chris Armstrong, and Callie Lau have all been around that program for three plus years, and they just need more from those guys specifically. Others as well, uh, to to be sure. And Fabian did draw three walks to his credit, but uh, those those guys are are going to have to hit more for Florida to win and they know it that that's not that's not news to anyone but uh that that is that is part of what went wrong this weekend and something that that Florida is just going to have to work out going forward they get Winthrop this weekend um that's uh I'm sorry that was Liberty gets Winthrop this weekend Florida gets Georgia State this weekend um and then they have Miami in a week uh following that so they 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 have uh, what is it? They, they play two midweek games in, in both of the, the weeks leading up to, to Miami. So they have seven games to, uh, to get this figured out before they play the Canes. Um, so that's, uh, that's something to work on there as, uh, as they have, have that, that major series um, on the horizon. All right, Joe, let's touch on the last major, major upset of the weekend. That happened in Greenville, North Carolina, as Bryant came to East Carolina and swept the Pirates. Uh, Bryant is the, you know, they're, they're the class of the Northeast Conference year in and year out. But to have them come in to, to Clark LeClaire Stadium and walk away with three wins was, uh, was very impressive. It was the first time in conference history that a baseball program had swept uh i believe it was any ranked opponent on the road but certainly a top 15 ranked opponent on the road uh just not not at all what we would have expected here uh you know certainly a a a good bryant team and one that we're now ranking in the top 25 but again just not not the opening weekend you would have thought from ecu there it was a busy series as well. Carson Wisenhunt didn't did not pitch for the Pirates uh, due to a violation of team rules. Uh, the Saturday game, East Carolina thought they had won on a walk off. Um, 
only to find out that the home run was being called back because time had been called by the first base umpire just before the pitch was delivered. Uh, they ultimately go on to lose that game in 10 innings. Uh, so a lot happened this weekend to, to lead to this sweep, but still um, just a, a rough start to the season for the Pirates. Yeah, in a number of ways. I mean, I just had to feel, you know, they had to feel so snake bitten over the weekend, frankly, because you, you do have things like the, the the confusion over the the walk off homer that wasn't. You've got you know your best pitcher about whom there's just a ton of buzz going into the season, not pitching, and then you you just get absolutely rolled on the first game of the season, and there was really nothing you could. The game just got away from you, you know, and and so all of those things combined probably has them coming out of the weekend thinking that things could could not have possibly gone worse. I mean, and you could look at, a, at that a couple of ways. One is that that does give you a little bit of permission to flush it a little bit better, more quickly, you know, just like, you know what, like things can, can really only get better from here. Like, you know, we just need to let that go. The other piece of it is that you played in the games and you, you know, you, you didn't win any of them. And, and the Sunday game, you know, the, the, the Saturday game was heartbreaking for a very specific reason that we detailed, the Sunday game was differently heartbreaking where you're behind most of the game, you know, or you're in a, in a dogfight at least most of the game, you, you make a comeback to tie that thing late. And then you still end up coughing it back up and, and letting Bryant win. I think it was a wild pitch um, that allowed Bryant to score what ended up being the go ahead run. So um, you, you did also play the games. And so that that's, that's part of it too. So you can't just completely ignore it, I think. And there were a few things going, going on here. I mean, I think, not having Wisenhunt obviously slides everyone down a seat uh, on the pitching staff. And, and it should be said that, you know, veteran lefty Jake Kuchmaner, nice start there. So you, you saw some, some positive things there, but, you know, ECU is always a team that uses a lot of bullpen guys. And sometimes that can come off as a feature. I think last year it was 100% a feature because they could give you a lot of different looks. Sometimes it can come off like a bug though, because they really, <laughs> in the games that get away from them, it really feels like they're scrambling a little bit. And so when, when, when guys that they really rely on, like CJ Mayhew, for example, doesn't have his best game, um, you know, or Garrett Saylor, another guy that they trust, like doesn't give you the start that you were hoping to get from them, uh, get from him. You know, it really does kind of set them on a course of, you know, them, them having to just like do button mashing to try to figure out what to, what to do next. So I don't know, like I'm inclined to just be like, this might've just been one of those weekends that we, we look back on and say, Oh, well, that was weird. Um, because Bryant is a very good team. We have them ranked for a reason. It's not just because the results say we should, we also think this is a good, good team. They always are good. Um, but I don't know, like I, you know, with, with ECU, they're just so consistent that you, you have to imagine. And this team is also one that returns a lot of talent from last year's team. There was a decent amount of certainty with this team. This was not a, rebuilding ECU team that we ranked based on the strength of their name. Uh, this was a team that brought back the players too. So that's, that's a little different. Sometimes you, you do rank a team and a lot of it is just because of the name on the front of the Jersey and that should carry some weight, but this was not the case with this team. And so I might be a little more concerned if this was one of those years where it's like, well, we'll rank them because it's ECU and we think they're going to win the American. Um, I'd be more concerned if that was the case with this group. Uh, that was not though. So we'll see. I mean, they've got another tough one this weekend, North Carolina. Um, they're playing like a home and away split series this weekend with UNC. And so it's not necessarily going to get any easier for them. The good news about that is though, is that if you win that series, you're feeling a whole lot better about things and you're really moving back in the right direction. 
my concern for ECU basically comes from that series this weekend and just what they have coming in totality. Um, assuming they play on Tuesday today, Joe, I don't frankly know what the weather is like in North Carolina, but they they have they're at Campbell, then they've got UNC, then they're at Duke. Then they have the LeClaire Classic, which is a solid field this year of Indiana State, Michigan, and Maryland. Um, and then St. Mary's, and then at College of Charleston, and then VCU. And now we're into a into conference play um, with, and I didn't mention, you know, midweeks with ODU, UNCW, NC State. The point is, whereas I just kind of brushed off Vanderbilt's upcoming schedule, uh, you know, or, or some other teams' upcoming schedules. This is not one to do that with. They have to get things figured out on the fly. UNC this weekend scored a boatload of runs against Seton Hall. I don't know what that means yet. Uh, I did not pick Seton Hall to finish particularly well in the Big East. But still, um, UNC dropped like a 19 spot on Saturday alone. Uh, so UNC is going to come into this weekend feeling like they have an opportunity to do something. And, you know, they're going to be motivated and all the rest of it because it's an in-state you know, rivalry series. Uh, but ECU is, uh, is kind of in a different spot now. And they're going to have to get out of it in a hurry because they can't allow this to snowball. I think that the pitching staff, you can look at some things that they did and, and feel like they did them well. And um, assuming they get Wizen Hunt back eventually, uh, you know, once, once he comes in, you, you still have what looks like a pretty good rotation. Cooch Maynard pitched really well. They, they found some guys out of the bullpen, but they also threw, I'm not going to count it up, but it, conservatively, that's a dozen players that they threw this weekend. Uh, you know, so they're they're going to have to find out who who exactly they can and can't trust, and um, you know, work work that work that out. Um, offensively, they need to do better. Uh, they only scored nine runs on the weekend. Um, they got some much like the pitching staff, you got some good weekends from some guys, got some bad weekends from some guys. They just, they need more consistency throughout. Uh, but I, I think number one to do, I suppose, is to, to just flush this weekend and move forward because they have no, they have no time to feel sorry for themselves here uh, with the schedule that they have on tap. All righty. Let's uh, let's keep it moving here, and let's go, Joe, to the State Farm College Baseball Showdown, uh, hosted in Globe Life Field, the Rangers' new home ballpark there in Arlington. Uh, it was not the field that we got last year when it was all six teams in the top 15, but as we talked about uh, on the weekend preview pod, it was a very interesting field offered a lot of opportunities to learn. And that's what I, I tried uh, to do down there in Arlington for, for this weekend, the, the couple days I was there Saturday and Sunday. And uh, I do feel like we, we, we got some answers. Arizona looked outstanding. They were the only team to finish the, the weekend undefeated. They went three and zero, and the Wildcats 
offense really came to play. That was that was maybe the most impressive thing that happened uh, on the weekend was just how good Arizona was offensively. Auburn and Oklahoma both went two and one down there. Those those two teams both were under 500 just barely last season, missed the NCAA tournament, looking to bounce back. And I think both of them saw some reasons to believe that they can bounce back. Auburn's pitching staff was was very good all weekend long. Oklahoma showed flashes both offensively and defensively and 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 off and um you know I there there's room for growth for the Sooners on in both uh both the lineup and the pitching staff and yet they still went two and one and so I I feel like that was uh a, a really nice weekend for them on the flip side Texas Tech uh Michigan both go one and two uh not the not the weekends they were looking for a lot of growth I feel like still to come for Texas Tech particularly uh Michigan had some good had some bad I I, I came away feeling pretty good about where the Wolverines are. They also went out on Monday and beat Texas Arlington. So they're now two and two and Clark Elliott is off to a great start to the season. Uh, Kansas state went zero and three. It was a tough zero and three. Um, does not look like, you know, last year, Joe liked them as a bit of a NCAA tournament sleeper team. Ultimately they felt just short of regionals. I'm not sure that they're ready for that this year, but we'll, uh, we'll have to see. So, uh, Joe, from afar, uh, what, what stood out to you? What, what do you want me to, to, to talk more about? Yeah. I, um, well, the barbecue situation, first off, um, that's really where this conversation needs to start. Uh, I saw that. Well, it's me. So I had tacos, not barbecue. Oh, that's right. You are the more of the time. What was so, I mean, like, I, let's not say from? I don't eat barbecue, but like this weekend sure. there was no barbecue. It, some so, of that's a time situation. You know, you gotta have enough time for, for Q and mm-hmm. the, the rough thing about the, these tournaments in, in Arlington and in Houston is that uh, six teams means three games a day, which just, it, you know, it, it, it's a long day at the yeah. ballpark. Yeah. You're kind of, kind of trapped there. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, fair enough. Uh, tacos were, were good. I trust though. Uh, yes. I have nothing bad to say about tacos in Texas ever. Uh, you know, there's a Torchies not far from that ballpark, which is maybe the best thing I can say about the ballpark. Uh, and, uh, it, it, I was in Austin as well. So, uh, tacos galore down, uh, down there. Mm, indeed. Uh, okay. Fair enough o- on the baseball side. Um, yeah, I guess I, I'm kind of curious. So setting Arizona aside, and I, I don't mean to give them short shrift just because I think what they did was kind of what we thought they could do going into this weekend. Right. And so they, they score a bunch of runs. The pitching staff looks like it's good enough. You know, um, you weren't there on, on Friday, but TJ Nichols. Uh, did some nice things showed you know, the kind of stuff that he has, they got good starts from Dawson nets and Garrett Irvin, and they looks like they found some bullpen arms. So I, I really don't mean to just brush Arizona off, but they kind of did what we thought maybe they could do this weekend. But I, before we brush Arizona off, all I'm going to say is that offense lost its top five hitters last year and a coach in Jay Johnson, who's known as being a really talented offensive coach. It doesn't look like they missed a beat at all. Uh, and if Jacob Berry hadn't left, I can only, like, it would have, that lineup already looks very good. Chase Davis, we're so excited about what he can be potentially this season. And uh, Daniel Susak, you know, very good as well. And, and all the rest of it, but Tanner Otremba had a great weekend. Chase Davis looked amazing. Like I, that, 
that offense, again, looks like one of the best in the country, despite the fact that they lost their five best hitters from a year ago, uh, or five of six, whatever, wherever Susac fits in there, you know, five regulars from that, that incredible offense are gone. Yeah, it is kind of, kind of amazing. And that, that'll be a theme. When we talk about some of the games I was at, a theme of, I try not to get too caught up in the man, what, what could have been if you know, this or that, I try not to get too caught up in that because we're dealing with what is and not what could have been, but there are a couple examples I had from this weekend as well. But, um, you know, Auburn and Oklahoma, both going two and one, I think really positive weekends for those two clubs. It's kind of funny how they are a little bit tied together because they also played in a tournament. I believe it was the round rock, not the Frisco last year. Maybe it was the Frisco, not the round rock. Those two obviously get confused, but they were in the same tournament last year at one point. And I remember coming out of last year being, and I can't remember who had a winning weekend or a losing weekend that, that, that time last year, but there were concerns coming out of it. Now you, you fast forward a year and they both have nice weekends. So like of the two, do you have a lean on, on which one you felt more positively about generally? And obviously their paths to the postseason are a little bit different because doing it in the sec is a little different versus doing it in the big 12. We, we understand that, but um, did, do you have an impression of, of those two, which of the, uh, the, the two and one starts, which one strikes you most as maybe the start of something? You know, I, I think it's, I, I, I want to say Auburn. I, I, I want to say Auburn because the way they pitched this weekend, they gave up, I think it was five runs on the weekend. And that was not supposed to be the strength of this team. They really struggled on the mound last year. They finished 13th in the SEC in Team ERA. The only team that was worse was Missouri. And Missouri was like bottom 100 overall last year in Team ERA. Uh, so, I mean, the, the fact that Auburn was already uh, separated from the bottom of the conference, like the fact that they didn't finish last took a, a, an incredibly poor performance by Mizzou to, to allow that to happen. So anyway, Auburn coming off of a, a disappointing year on the mound with Tim Hudson and Butch Thompson on that, on that coaching staff, you knew that they absolutely had and wanted and would get better, but what they were able to come out and do this weekend showed that maybe they're operating on an even accelerated standpoint uh, for, for that. Now, they did not face Arizona. It should be said, Arizona only played the Big 12 teams in the tournament. So they, they missed out on having to face the best offense there. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, they, they, pitched, they pitched really well. And if that can be carried forward, I think there is a lot of reason for optimism there because Auburn did not swing the bats uh, quite at the level that you would expect. It was, a, it was a good offense last year. They thought it was going to be a good offense coming into this year. Uh, it's not to say they played poorly uh, offensively this weekend, but they, if they can find a way to get back to what they think they should be and can be offensively while maintaining the pitching they got this weekend, um, they could really surprise some people this year, I feel like. Uh, and this was one of their harder, this was this hard, this was their hardest weekend until SEC play. They go home now for like five straight weeks or something. Uh, so getting this experience on the road uh, and it being such a confidence builder for the pitching staff is, is probably only going to get compounded on over the next few weeks. Oklahoma, though, you know, I, I, I feel like there's just so much room for, for growth in different areas. 
Peyton Graham didn't have his best week uh, at the plate. What's that offense going to look like when he really gets locked in? You know, they, that has a chance to, to be exciting. Um, they got got by Arizona. Um, they gave up like 12 runs or something. Arizona is going to catch a lot of teams this year. Otherwise, Oklahoma pitched well on the weekend. And you saw some flashes even in that game of, of reasons for optimism for the pitchers that did pitch against Arizona. If uh, Oklahoma can find another arm or two, uh, and they're not throwing Kate Horton yet. That's still going to come. Uh, he's a two-way player who right now is just playing third base. But Skip Johnson told me that they're going to they're going to start throwing Horton here in the next couple of weeks. If if he can be that guy, or if they can find some other player to to step up on the mound, uh, then they have the the makings of what could be a, a pretty solid pitching staff. And to your point. Uh, it's a lot different to do it in the SEC, with, especially the SEC West, which looks incredibly crowded, versus the Big 12, which had a nice weekend because you saw what Texas did. Oklahoma State, obviously, with a really loud result. Uh, TCU went 2-1 and one out at the MLB4 tournament. Not quite sure what to make of that yet. Um, but, like, Texas Tech looked more mortal uh, this weekend. Baylor got swept at home by Maryland, which is a good team, but Baylor still just got swept at home. Uh, so I just feel like uh, it should be noted that West Virginia had a really nice weekend um, in their tournament at, at Coastal Carolina as well. But it feels like the middle of the Big 12 is a little more open uh, for a team like Oklahoma to, to take a step forward. Yeah, the, the Texas Tech piece, I figure we'll touch on them a little bit too. I mean, we have to give the one, the million caveats we always give when we talk about Texas Tech because we're scared of like doubting Texas Tech and understandably, and it, it should be said specifically in this case that you know recent history is littered with examples of Texas Tech's roster and go-to guys looking a lot different in June than they did in February. Um, that said, though, I mean this really the weekend they had really played into so many of the fears and concerns that you and I had about Texas Tech going into the year, um, you know, in terms of, I mean, they didn't really even get a, a great weekend from Josh Young. He was two for nine and, um, Jace. you know, Jace, did I say Josh? You did. Josh, Josh was that'd, there, uh, at least on Friday. He was, he was handing out in one of the boxes, but they should have tried to sneak Josh Young on the field. Well, he's hurt right now is, is the, oh, is the struggle. Well, that's, that. that would be troublesome. Yeah. Probably may not have been much an improvement, but yeah. So Jace Young, not not the best weekend from him, and we kind of felt like that was what they could hang their hat on. But you know, offensively hits under 200, and uh, they played a few different guys and moved some pieces around, and um, some of the guys they're kind of leaning on to either be instant contributors or uh, to take big steps forward. Uh, just we didn't see that in one weekend, and so still plenty of time, obviously. But that was a concern that we had: is how many of these guys are really going to either be a instant stars or be, be these fourth and fifth year guys who have not necessarily been impact offensive players, are they going to be ready to just make that leap um, this year to, to be that? And we didn't see that first weekend. And then on the mound, um, you know, especially with not getting a great start from Brandon Birdsell, um, they, it felt like they were scrambling, scrambling a little bit on the mound. So this really, this weekend and it is just one weekend, but really did seem to kind of play into some of the fears and concerns that we had about the Red Raiders. 
Yeah, I, I think if you're looking for positives, freshman Owen Washburn is definitely where you're where you're looking. He uh, he had a really nice weekend at the plate and getting the the combination of him and Young in the lineup uh, starts. You know, it feels like you're starting to to build something uh, with those two guys. Cole Stillwell hitless on the weekend. That I mean, a that that can't fly. B though, like that's that's not going to be the norm. Uh, so you know, if you if you start stacking those guys, you get Stillwell going, you get Washburn, you get Yun. I mean, now you're starting to build the core of a lineup, uh, which is you know they, they have the pieces offensively. I, I I think bringing something together on the mound uh, is is going to be critical as well. I thought Birdsell pitched all right. Um, you know, this is a guy that is coming off of a not insignificant injury a year ago. Uh, so for a first time out, I, I was not particularly worried about what they got from, from Birdsell. Um, I assume he's going to get better from here as he gets closer to a hundred percent, but they're going to need that to happen. Um, and then, you know, Arizona beat them on, on Sunday. And again, Arizona is going to catch teams uh, the way that they're playing right now. So, I'm not terribly down on Texas Tech, but I do think what you saw this weekend is uh, that the, the cracks that we were concerned about coming into this year, uh, they were exposed this weekend, uh, and now Tech is going to have to going to have to work on that. But it, it's not anything unexpected. It's just there are going to be growing pains this weekend. Has to be part of the the things that you're learning from if you're Texas Tech. Yeah, it does. It does appear like they, you know. Another reason for optimism appears that they they do some of the guys that we were looking at as hey these are these are real dudes in the bullpen for them Brendan Gurton and, and Chase Hampton um, did some nice things this weekend and then you know they got good relief work from Trenton Parrish kind of a newer face there so um, you know that's obviously positive it gives them a few pieces to kind of move around and work with so um, not without some some positives there but certainly a, a team that is going to have to goes out saying take some steps forward to be anything close to what we kind of expect this program to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is a team that plays tricky schedules. Um, but you know, I, I feel like right now they've got some manageable weekends ahead of big 12 play, uh, this weekend, they have Kent state coming in. Um, you know, then they played Merrimack and, uh, rice and, uh, a tricky series at Iowa is right before big 12 play, but I, there, there's, there's some tough midweeks. They have two against DBU and two against Mississippi state, but I, I just feel like they have, they have a, a schedule that sets up here for them to be able to, to do some of the learning that they, they need to do. And uh, they, you know, Texas tech was, not you know didn't did fare particularly well in this tournament a year ago went on to be a super regional team i'm not saying that that's what's on the other end of the season for the red raiders this year necessarily but a, a poor weekend does not exclude them from anything um especially considering that it was you know some of the positives that we saw this weekend and the fact that it's not surprising that they you know need to go through some of this growth Alrighty, Joe. Let's uh, let's flip it over to Florida, where you were. Um, you saw an awful lot uh, of of different things there. 
I, I think the most interesting thing for me was, uh, you know, in that that South Florida tournament that had Charlotte, South Florida, Louisville, and UConn, uh, was that, uh, you know, you you, you come out. Uh, Charlotte comes out of the weekend looking pretty good. UConn had had some pretty good looks as well. Uh, Louisville took a couple losses, and uh, it, it was not it was not a great opening weekend for the Cardinals. No, I mean, it. you know, you and I talked in the preview episode about the possibility that Louisville comes out or goes out to Tampa and, and we come out of the weekend saying, you know, that was clearly the best team on the field and it looks like things are headed in the right direction. And that was certainly not the case. And, you know, they, they get a, a good win on Friday against Charlotte. And I wrote about after that win that, you know, this was a, a tough, like hard fought win. And I, I thought maybe that was, a real positive for this team, you know, because this was a team that didn't end last season the way they would have would have wanted, and and you know didn't really necessarily show a lot of fight down the stretch. You know they got swept in three of their last four series, and so the idea that they had to come out right away and they got in a fight and they stuck it out and they won, I thought was really maybe a sign of 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 you know positive growth and of things to come, and, and maybe it still will be, but the rest of the weekend did not play out that way. I mean, they, they take a couple of losses in the, um, in the final two games there. Um, and, and there really wasn't anything specific, like anything in general, I should say to hang your hat on. It was, um, not a great offensive weekend for some guys that they're going to need to, to lean on, you know, Dalton rushing went one for 10 and, uh, JT Benson, who started all three games in the weekend, went two for 11. Levi Usher went oh for 11 at the plate with six strikeouts. There were some positives, you know, uh, Kristen Napchik looked great at the leadoff spot. I'm really kind of a fan of, of his approach at the plate and the, and the way he plays. Um, you know, Ben Metzinger got into a ball in the first game against Charlotte. Uh, Cameron Masterman had a nice weekend. So there are some pieces there that had positive weekends, but in terms of like what they're going to get from the second half of the lineup, I was a little less sure of coming out of, of the weekend there. On the mound, it was you know, they didn't really, they didn't get any starts that really stand out to you. Tate Keener was, was fine on Friday, but then in Jarrett Poland um, and then Jacob Ferris the last two days uh, just really didn't, didn't have it. Um, now defense did not help. And that was also a theme of this weekend is that they just didn't play good defense. And some of it was circumstantial and tough luck. So on Saturday, and I was not at this game, I should, I should mention, but you know, Levi Usher had one inning where he uh, you know, misplayed a fly ball and then dropped another one uh, in the same inning. And the sun was right in the path of the ball. And so like, okay, that you can kind of maybe uh, give them uh, something of a pass for, but, but just generally they did not feel the ball well. And they, you know, made five errors on in Sunday's game. And as it stands right now, after a midweek win against Xavier, they're, they're fielding nine thirty three as a team. They have nine errors in four games. Um, and that's just not, it's not good. <laughs> um, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, that doesn't feel like it's going to cut it. No, that probably isn't going to do it. So, yeah, I just I can't help I can't help but fight the feeling and breaking our rule of of maybe getting carried away with one weekend of of result is I think things are going to get better. I like the individual players here. In some cases, there were some. I guess now that I've talked about some of the downsides, let's talk about some of the positives. Riley Phillips looked really good in a relief appearance on Sunday. The freshman Will Coger, again at the game I was not at, but listened to some of on the radio. Uh, was electric at times in his outing, uh, really showed some some positive stuff there. 
Um, Michael Prosecchi wasn't perfect uh, in his outing on Friday, but he kind of dominated at times in that outing, and he has eight strikeouts and four innings as we sit right now after he pitched in the Xavier game as well. So I liked what I saw from him. Um, you know, so there are some some things to, to feel good about here, and I like the idea that this team is going to be better and be an NCAA tournament team, but I kind of wondered coming into the year if we were too low on them and thought that, hey, this is a team that bounces back to hosting, and I just, you know, you kind of look at it, and I, I don't know that they have a, a real Friday guy here unless it's one of the younger pitchers that works his way into that role as time goes on. As it stands now, I don't know that they have that guy in the lineup. Um, you know, with all they lost last year, because don't forget, this is a team that lost not just Henry Davis, but a guy like Alex Pinellas, who we, you know, sure, he he slumped for a good part of the early season, but he came on strong last year and was a really dangerous hitter. And, and, and Luke Brown and Cooper Bowman had a nice year. So they are missing a lot on offense. And while I like Cameron Masterman and Napchick and Ben Metziger and, and rushing, I like him to, to get going. Um, that lineup core, I mean, these are guys who have been around. Um, that lineup core does not strike me as, as Omaha, you know, that's just not what that lineup strikes me as. And so if, if they're not hanging their hat on the mound and that lineup doesn't really necessarily strike me as um, a lineup that is a lineup that leads a team to a deep postseason run, I'm just not exactly sure what you point to here for Louisville to be among the elite in college baseball. Would I still bet on it being a postseason team? Absolutely. You know, could it be a really dangerous two seed or, you know, heck, if they get things turned around? So I think sometimes we forget that the bar to be a back end host is not as high as we assume it is sometimes. Could they get into that conversation? Perhaps. Um, but I just don't think this team's ceiling is as high as I was maybe expecting to see it be after after one weekend. And that's that, that's kind of the feeling I'm, I'm, I'm fighting with coming out of the weekend. Yeah, I mean, it. it... It doesn't feel like that's uh, a hosting team right now. Obviously, plenty of growing pains can can be worked through here uh, for a team like Louisville. And I don't want to take anything off the table for this team. They have they have talent, but uh, that that was not that was not the start that they would have been looking for. Um, so I guess if if Louisville was not the most impressive team in Tampa, uh, which one did you come away with? thinking like, okay, this, this team, this is the team that was the best down here. I think it's probably UConn, um, not to take anything away from Charlotte. And I'll get to them in a minute, but UConn struck me as being uniquely well-rounded um, in the way they, they went about their business. And I think the most impressive thing is that, you know, this was a team that their pitching staff was really supposed to be built around Reggie Crawford. And coming out of the summer, there was just so much positivity about what Reggie Crawford could be on the mound. And it should be said that he had never, he hadn't thrown that much. And the idea that he was going to be a starter right away, that was going to be an adjustment, but like the floor for him was dominant reliever, you know? And so you take him out of the mix and, and yet I came away really impressed with his pitching staff where Austin Peterson throws on Friday and strikes out 13 and five and two thirds innings and a win against South Florida. And is South Florida a strikeout prone team? Sure. Like, okay. But his stuff was good. Um, he was locating really well. I came away really impressed with him. If that's your Friday guy, I think they're in really good shape. Pat Gallagher in, in the second game of the weekend didn't have a good start, but that's a guy who was really solid for them 
in the rotation last year. I have a lot of confidence that he will be some version of that again. And then on Sunday, they get a great start from a Harvard transfer, Enzo Stefanoni, um, who's kind of fun to watch pitch because he, like his stuff isn't overpowering, but he's one of those guys who, you know, can really add and subtract from his repertoire. Like, you know, he's got like five different pitches that all come in at different speeds and different angles. Um, and so when he's really got it all working, like he's really tough to hit. So if that's the rotation you're working with, like based on what I saw this weekend, I feel pretty good about that. Um, so the idea that they might be that good on the mound in a year when their best guy is not going to be available to them, uh, is, is saying quite a bit. Um, and then offensively, they were kind of what you come to expect from UConn. It was, it was, you know, really good effort one through nine in the lineup. They got a little bit of something from everybody and, um, you know, nobody really seemed to be, you know, at, out of their mind necessarily <laughs> throughout the weekend. It was just that everybody gave them a, a little bit of, of something. And so this is a team that, you know, in a big East that, you know, you and I have talked offline and I think you may have made a little reference to it earlier, but, um, in a big East that it's hard to know what you're going to get outside of UConn. This, this does strike me as a type of team that can really run up the score a little bit in conference play. And so no shocker here, but it does look like we have a very typical UConn team on our hands. And by that, I mean a team that uh, can really beat just about anybody uh, challenges itself out of conference and then takes care of business, picks up some, some marquee wins. We're going to kind of forget about them as conference play starts probably because the big East just kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. And then we're going to look up in June and be like, Oh, there's UConn, a two seed in regional, and they're going to be a tough customer. I, I think that's what we're dealing with, with UConn again. This is, um, this is not a big East that I think is going to do a whole lot for UConn. Um, they're going to need, they're going to need something here uh, in the non-conference. And so getting that kind of weekend uh, ultra significant because I don't think this is a team that's going to be able to play its way into the hosting conversation given the big East, uh, but they, you know, they, they certainly can play their way into a large conversation and uh, but, but they need weekends like this. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Sean Charlotte, uh, they can really swing it, man. Like, I mean, that's just <laughs> the long and the short of it. Um, and, and again, similar to UConn where you say, Hey, you know, I came away pretty impressed with the pitching staff, even without in a world without Reggie Crawford. Similarly, I mean, I've said this several different times, but they lose, Gino Groover and Don Palali, two of their better hitters to a transfer. And yet this offense, I think can be just as good. Austin Knight was excellent this weekend. David McCabe tattooed a ball in, for a home run in the Sunday game. Freshman Cam Fisher was excellent right from the jump. Um, you know, nearly brought him back in that uh, in the loss against Louisville. Hit a two-run homer in the ninth that, that brought it back within a run. Um, so I, this team is is really going to hit. the The question is just going to be what they got on the mound. That's what they get on the mound, and we knew that coming in. And I think it is still the question that remains to be answered. I mean, they they got uh, Quentin Martinez started against Louisville and really got hit hard. Uh, they had to scramble after that. Um, Spencer Geesting, who I think was was thought of as, as a guy who's really going to take over in the rotation and, and kind of maybe be the guy, he came out of the bullpen right behind Martinez. I didn't get a chance to ask Robert Woodard if you know that was just the idea they have for their role, if they're eventually going to work him into the rotation, if maybe they brought him in piggybacking Martinez specifically for that game because they wanted to get the Louisville game. Uh, there are a lot of scenarios through which that could have been the case. But outside of that, they did a pretty good job on the mound. Uh, Will Lancaster, the transfer from USC Upstate, was really good uh, in his start on, on Sunday against USF. Um, so there were some 
things to like on the mound. Well, I mean, we'll have to see ultimately, like I, I'm not, I'm not uh, here to say that, you know, Charlotte is going to be better on the mound than we thought, but they really were pretty competitive in that regard this weekend, which helped them go two and one because, you know, the, the, the competition was such that they were not going to just be able to be one-sided and come out with a winning weekend. So they, they did figure some things out on the mound. It's just a matter of moving it forward. And then just quickly on South Florida to, to wrap it up is I think the team's going to be really good on Fridays. You know, they've got Jack Jaziak and then they're going to be able to uh, piggyback Orion Kirkering, their closer behind Jaziak on Friday. And that's what they tried to do in, in the Friday game against UConn and they just couldn't quite uh, pull it off. Um, so that feels like a really good combination. I, I just kind of do wonder because Kirkering ended up throwing like 70 some odd pitches in relief on Friday. I, I, I understand like that wanting to keep Kirkering in a bullpen role because you can really just deploy him in the, a moment of truth or when you really think you need him. I, I am just kind of left wondering if their best, the best version of themselves is one in which they go ahead and just move Kirkering to the rotation and try to, to deploy it as a one, two with Jayziak and, and Kirkering. So we'll, We'll have to see on that. Offensively, they good weekends for Carmine Lane, Daniel Cantu, two of their their returning hitters who they they knew they were going to be leaning on hard. Um, quite a few strikeouts, uh, not a lot of walks. There were not um, there were stretches where the approaches just were not great at the plate for USF, and that led to some of the high strikeout totals. But just six walks over the course of an entire weekend, um, that's going to have to get better as the season goes on. So I think USF is dangerous in small doses. Um, it will remain to be seen if they are a better regular season team than they were last year when they were just about 500. All right. That's a lot that we touched on. It was a lot more that happened. Uh, and you know, we, we have all of that covered over at baseballamerica.com. You had SEMO uh, winning a series at Dallas Baptist. You had uh, Sacramento state's Colin Hall, uh, throwing a no hitter in his uh, his collegiate debut, you had Trey Dombrowski throwing six hitless innings on, on Friday against Penn State for Monmouth. Uh, he's a draft name to watch. Uh, so that a, a lot happened. You, you had Oregon State, uh, their offense really going off. LSU going off offensively. Ole Miss going off offensively. All three of those schools playing suspect competition at best, but. Um, Still very impressive starts to the season uh, for, for everyone in that group. A lot, a lot to catch up on. And uh, so I, I would encourage everyone to check out everything over at baseballamerica.com as we uh, as, as we try to make sense of it all throughout a busy opening weekend. Um, we will be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast later this week to preview week two. Um, coming to you on Thursday in, in all likelihood. Uh, with that. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find us and hit that hit that subscribe button. No better time like the start of the season to do so. We'll be coming to you twice a week throughout the season. Uh, we'll be back to our normal schedule now from here on of Mondays and Thursdays. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Uh, again, check it out uh, on the website. A lot to read over there, and there will be more as the week continues. So until we talk to you next time on Thursday, uh, I'm Joe. Or <laughs> I'm Teddy. He's Joe. It's been a long weekend. We'll see you next time.